Welcome to the Conversations with Anna podcast. My name is Dr. Anna Stump, the Golden Ticket Professor, a self-proclaimed edutainer. I'm a former business executive turned high school teacher turned college professor. And in the past three decades of that transition, I have spent time with several generations. And with that as my foundation, I have some stories to tell. In each episode, you'll hear stories or interviews that will help you focus on your own truth. I want you to feel accepted, motivated, supported, and then I want you to be able to take what you know about yourself and your truth, go out into this big old world we live in and apply that so you can move forward with a strategy for a more authentic life. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump in to a conversation with Anna. It's early in the day, so much I want to do. I dedicate today to breaking rules. I'm gonna stick to a strategy. I'm gonna find out exactly what I'm made of. Is there really something wrong with just smiling the whole day long? Well, welcome to Conversation 23. I don't know who numbers their conversation, probably just podcast hosts. But anyway, that's what number we're on. These seem to fly by for me. I can't believe I'm up to like 23, but hopefully they are for you too, because that would not be fun. Well, I guess you really actually technically wouldn't be listening. So I'm glad you're here. And last conversation, we kind of talked about the foundational principles that Covey wanted to make sure everyone understood before he got into the seven habits. So we talked about paradigms, very important, um, constantly mentioned throughout the book. We talked about the emotional bank account. We talked about your production and your production capacity. A lot of good things there. So now we get into the first three habits. And these three are kind of set off on their own. And Covey refers to them as the private victory. Because these first three habits surround moving from being dependent to being independent. And it's kind of a self mastery type of um, set of habits. Because if you can really process these three, then you have cleared the road to get to the following four, right? So this is really kind of the important work in my mind, that you do with Covey, because it is, as we have talked together through these 23 episodes, difficult to deal with yourself. It's difficult to know, to accept, and to love yourself. And Covey puts a lot of spotlight on that in these habits. So the very first habit is to be proactive. And in being proactive, what he is talking about here is just taking responsibility for your life. He wants to talk about what distinguishes us from all other animals. As humans, it is our inherent ability to examine our own character, to decide how to view ourselves, how to view our situations, and how to control our own effectiveness. It is choice. And good, bad, or indifferent, however you want to read this, however you want to internalize it, and however you're feeling um, as the year unfolds, we choose everything. We choose sadness or happiness. We We choose to be decisive or ambivalent. We even choose success or failure. We choose courage or fear in every moment. And 
every situation provides us with a clear choice. We don't always see it. We don't always lean into it. But we start to differentiate between people who understand that they are responsible for their own choices. And that's one of the things Covey talks about a lot in the book. Even, you know, this is not necessarily in my mind, a book you can just sit down and read. This is a work. This is a body of work and it's work you have to do. And it should not be a book you just plan to sit down and read. I think the last time I read it and I have read it multiple times, I think I did like a habit every two months. Like I just kind of paced myself because it does, especially as we talk about getting older and having more experiences, you really have to just kind of percolate on some of this stuff, even being proactive. Like I constantly have to think, am I really truly being proactive in everything in life? Probably not. That's exhausting. Like it's truly exhausting. And how will I ever really feel good about being proactive if there are not moments where I know I'm reacting? So One of the things he talks about as your work in this first habit is just to monitor your own language and to watch other people. Just be a student of it all, right? Like when I try to teach people how to use LinkedIn, I'm like, be a professional stalker, go see what other people are doing. So this is kind of the same thing, especially as you reflect on your relationships and your boundaries with people. And really since episode one, what I have been trying to drive home to you is the person that you should care about the most exercise the most caution, compassion, grace, and patience with is yourself. So think about how you talk to yourself, because you start to recognize that people that are responsible and proactive do not blame circumstances. They do not blame conditions. They do not blame their conditioning, right? Their childhood, their formative things, the things around them, the people who raised them, all of these things for their behavior, because they know they choose their behavior. Reactive people, on the other hand, constantly a victim of their physical environment, all their things. But if the weather's good, they feel good. If the weather's not good, they feel bad. If it's not that they're having a bad performance or bad attitude, then they blame something in their environment, their coworkers, their job, the news, the economy, whatever it might be, right? So these are people that... When given the ability to choose any stimulus and then their ability to choose their response, that's when they typically go towards that victimization or that really negative or reactive. And we all do that in some instances. We all do it sometimes as a gut reaction. And then we have to like stop and process and then come out on the other side. Sometimes you're so far in it or it's so personal or it's such a thing that you kind of have to process it with other people. This is not, you know, this is not one of those stimulus response things where like, oh, look, the oven's hot. Should I put my hand on it? Let me try it. And then you immediately move your, that is not always the case. As we all know from unhealthy relationships, unhealthy career choices, you know, negative toxic people being in our lives, having to have good boundaries, having to love ourselves. Sometimes these responses go on and on and on for patterns of behavior and periods of time where you have to finally recognize it for what it is and then you have to change it. But doing that and recognizing it and doing that work takes you from being responsive to proactive. And again, your language is a very good indicator of how you see yourself. A proactive person will use proactive language. I can, I will, I prefer 
where a reactive person is using reactive language. If only. I can't. I have to. I must. Right? Those people are not in control. So reactive people believe they are not responsible for what they have, what they say, and that they have little or no choice. I would love to tell you, as much as my mouth has gotten me into sticky situations and trouble and some other instances over my long life of being a very communicative person, I am 100% in control and responsible for what comes out of my mouth. 100%. And I have to own that. And I've never tried not, well, I shouldn't say never, you should never say never, right? But in my healthy adult years... (laughs) which have been probably two of them over my lifetime. I've had two combined healthy years. I don't know. But I feel more in control when I can own up to it, even if it's bad, even if it's apology, even if it's a mistake, even if it's something I really wish I could take back. The fact that I am owning up to that makes me more proactive than reactive. There's a great Sonia Friedman quote in the book that talks about the fact that we have control over three things. What we think, what we say, and how we behave. And if you want to make a change in your life, you have to recognize that these are gifts and the most powerful tools you possess in shaping the future of your life. So this is where you want to talk about how you make a choice about what you think, your self-talk, your processing, your paradigms, all of those things that you have control over. And then you have to do what I'm not really good at. Everyone jokes, including me, that I was born without that filter between your brain and your mouth. I just have a constant open pipe that <laughs> everything flows out of. Sometimes it's a gift, sometimes it's a curse. Regardless, um, it is a little bit of truth. But I have complete control over what I say. And I think I do I still have a t-shirt that says, like, why don't I get credit for the things I'm not saying? Because there are actually things I don't say. Um, but I never get credit for those. And then honestly, how you behave. So these are even helpful as parents. Again, I think there is, I've told you in the last episode, there is seven habits for highly effective teens. But just knowing these things as a parent and how you can identify and explain to them with your children, with your spouse, with your coworkers, other people, like you're being reactive right now. You need to take your power back. Oh gosh, there's so many cliches out there, right? So many um, Instagrammable little cliches. But really, when you sit down and you read about the proactive mind and how much healthier that is, this is where Covey introduces circle of concern and circle of influence. So as I talk about this, I want you to have a really good visual of a big circle of concern and make it a color. Let's make it a dreary color. Let's make it gray. So you have a big gray circle. That is your circle of concern. Inside of that circle, you have a smaller circle of influence. My favorite color is purple. So that's what color I'm going to make my circle of influence in my mind. But you make it whatever you want to make it. So you have your circle of concern, your circle of influence. Proactive people focus their efforts in their circle of influence. They work and think about and prioritize things that they can do something about. And because of that, their energy is so positive and enlarging and magnifying that it causes that circle of influence to actually grow bigger. It increases for them and it gives them more room. Reactive people, on the other hand, focus their efforts in that gray circle of concern. 
They focus on the weaknesses. They focus on other people. They have drama. They have problems in the environment. They have circumstances they don't have any control over. They're victims. They worry. They have all of this time and energy spent on blaming and accusing and, you know, reactive language. And the negative energy that they're generating actually forces that circle of influence to be smaller because they're not spending any time there. So it shrinks. They're spending all of that time out in that gray circle of influence, just wasting energy and wasting time and effort and attention and all of those things. And their paradigms are all messed up and they can't see where they're at. It's a very helpless, terrible situation for them to constantly be in. Now, as I said before, we don't always live in one of these circles. We kind of bounce back and forth. We have triggers. We have people in our life that put us here. We have things at work or things in our daily life that'll bounce us back and forth. But the overall balance is what you're looking for. This is why Covey calls this effective people. These are habits for effective living. You can't be perfect. We don't want to be perfect. We want to be effective and efficient and live our best lives and understanding how these circles and this proactivity and our language and our choice all come together. That is where the power is. That is where we can do really good work with this. Okay, so moving on. Habit two, begin with the end in mind. And I think I've shared with you that the way that this was first introduced back in the early 90s is that the story takes you into a funeral. And as you're walking towards the front of the funeral, towards the casket, you see some people are upset. Some people are devastated. Some people are just sitting stoically. Some people might look relieved. I don't know. And you get closer to the front and you start to recognize people. And then as you arrive at the front, you notice this is your funeral. Well, isn't that a fun way to introduce some life-changing you know, work here? Is let's Think about when you're dead. Think about your funeral. What do you want people to say at your funeral? Fortunately, over time, that's been reframed a little bit. And one, I think one of the best questions that Covey asks um, when talking about first things first, um, time management, he went on to talk about the difference between the clock and the compass. Not how do you spend your minutes, right? But how do you spend your life? And he talks about how many people on their deathbed wish they spent more time at the office, but that seems to be what everybody does. And if you remember a couple episodes ago when I talked about using those cards and having grown men just break down in tears and thinking about living, loving, learning, and living, leaving a legacy is where we come to begin with the end in mind. And there are many ways to frame this for yourself. And I think back in the early 90s, the funeral thing, or you know, what you want people to say about you. When, when I was younger, I got that a little bit. But now that I'm older, um, much older, and I'm a parent, I look at my child and I think about beginning with the end in mind. And most things I do, I think about how will this impact him and his life and his future and, and all of that. So, I mean, these things are certainly going to change over time. I think that's why I continue to come back to this literature. I guess you call this literature, right? Um, I come back to this work and I look at it and read it at different points in my life. It has different meaning and different impact. And it certainly has 
helped. And I think he roots all of this in such a long history of really impactful literature and theories and concepts throughout history. I think that's what makes this really strong and weathering the test of time, obviously. But beginning with the end in mind is very interesting. And I it was a speech that Jeff Bezos gave. I've shown it in class a few times. It was a Princeton University um, commencement address. And he talks about getting these graduates to understand like what kind of stories they will tell on behalf of their lifetime when they're 80. Like think about how you can build that starting today through when you're 80 and tell the story you want to tell. I've always thought that was very cool. The other thing that I have always really kind of hit me and I think about sometimes um, in those moments when I have a moment to be deep is Gary Vaynerchuk was on stage being interviewed and he shared like remembering being young. Um, his family came over from Russia. They didn't have a lot of stuff with them, but his mom had a picture of his grandparents. And you remember just old cameras and old photos. Like I remember my mom has a picture of her grandparents and the photo is like on something very thick, almost like cardboard, but it is a sepia tone and it started to wrinkle and there were no flashes then. So people had to go stand outside in direct sunlight. So they all look really aggravated and mean. (laughs) And They all apparently put on all of their best clothes and maybe all of their clothes because they all seem to just be like stacked with layers. And so these are not people that you can look at and be like, oh, fond memory of great grandma smiling. Like, no. But my mom and Gary was sharing, like his mom, they had these memories of these people and they wanted us to know about them. So we listened through their eyes and it was very hard to get a grasp on who that was. And Gary says, because of technology, my great, 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 great grandkids can search and listen to this interview someday. And I was always like, oh my gosh, like he's right. And he thinks what's super funny about that. He went on to make a joke that like, wouldn't it be funny for somebody to come in and say, hey, great, great grandpa, I noticed this post on social media where you called this person a name. Like, what was that about? (laughs) You know, we have to remember that we are living these visible, um, permanent digital lives sometimes. So I think that's even more important to think about the content and the photos. And, you know, again, I'm digressing because that's my gift. But it's just, I think it's very unique if you will think about life and what, you know, 20 something is thinking about retirement and what they want those things to look like. You just don't necessarily by nature think that way, especially if you're struggling with being proactive and reactive in your paradigms and all, I mean, all of the things that we have talked about, right? Narcissists and codependent. I mean, there's a lot going on, but healthy, effective, life leading people will stop and think sometimes, am I really following my true North? Am I really living the life that I want to live? Chances are probably not right. I'm living a far better life than I had imagined for myself today. Who knows what tomorrow's going to bring, but I'm in control of these choices today, how I spend my day. 
how I look at things, how I make choices. And I do have some guiding principles and I do have people and goals and things that are important to me, which leads me to another big part of this habit is talking about roles and goals. And this is something that I've mentioned before as well, that Covey spends some time talking about, but he talks about personal mission statements and to help you focus on what you want to do, but really who you want to be. What do you identify and define as success and what is your plan to get there? So having a mission statement kind of formalizes and makes you kind of the leader, the proactive person of your own life. So there's different ways to do this. And when I teach about mission statements in my business classes, I always laugh because I say, when you go into any organization, you can start by stopping everyone that asks that works there and asking the company's mission statement. It's either going to be really simple if they all know it, or it's going to be very impactful and a true guiding light of the organization. But what usually happens is you'll maybe run into three or four people in the whole organization that know the true mission statement. And they're usually the people that were in the room when it was written. (laughs) There are some organizations out there not like that. Same thing with individuals, right? I mean, I wrote a mission statement when I went through my Covey training. I've had some now and then. I feel like I have some guiding principles, but I do not have a formal written personal mission statement right now. Um, I have had those things at different times in my life, but I feel like I am not in a place where that is a good use of my time and energy and effort. I feel like I have some guardrails and that my mission statement isn't necessarily a mission statement. It's not formal or it's not written down. But I can tell you this, if I start feeling chaotic, if I start feeling confused, if things start going too far out of my circle of control, I will definitely sit down and think, okay, are we on plan here? How is this working? The thing is, I have merged my life with my husband. I would want him involved in it. I feel like I'm part of a pair. So these, again, I'm just telling you this because over time, these things change. But if you are really in a place where you are working on building for yourself a truly effective life and beginning with the end in mind, if having a roadmap of sorts will help you, this is a very good exercise. And one thing that Ray Sylvester, who I had on episode six, when he talks about studying and building your personal brand value, one of the steps in his dissertation work, which is brilliant, is to identify an influential person. And honestly, that's in Covey's book, is look at other people. Think about how do you want to become who you hope to be someday? And then what types of things get you there? And that's where Covey talks about roles and goals. And I mentioned this when we talk about time management, about you know, if you're a parent or a child or a sister or a coworker or whatever it is, we have roles and goals. And then he suggests that you have a rough draft of your mission statement, then consider the roles and goals in your life and how those relate to your mission statement roles and goals. Because those two things together will give you far more structure and organization and help the direction of your mission statement which is why I mentioned my husband, right? That is a major role in my life 
is being a wife or a mother or a professor or whatever that is. So those frame where I'm at, where I'm going, and how I define success. Because if you would have found me when I was 22, 26, you know, money, title, um, upward mobility within the world's largest company, having people around me that respected me, being able to do a good job for the people around me, not necessarily in that order, depends on the day. (laughs) Most of those were on the list most of the time. But my mission statement was very career oriented because my life was completely out of balance. And my roles gravitated towards what was working in my life because those are easier goals to write. And I certainly wasn't walking around hoping that my goal was to meet some fabulous human and get married. That actually happened. So then my mission changes a little bit. I mean, we left retail and became teachers. Your mission changes. And I've often had these conversations with people who understand psychology and those personality assessments. I worked with a professor who wrote a couple books on EQ and was like a major fan of Myers-Briggs. She will tell you that you are born wired and that your Myers-Briggs And pretty much your EQ doesn't change over time. I would argue that all day because at 23, with the career that I had, taking the Myers-Briggs versus being my age with the career that I have, my family, all of those things, I don't think I I view life the same. I don't think I process the same. I don't know. I don't know. And again, it's one reason you should not like put those assessments out and then try and become who you think you are based on those. But I just have always found it very interesting. I am completely different in my viewpoints, my risk aversion, all those things. Some of it's because of age. Some of it's because of how I spend my time and energy and who's in my life and how I feel about myself too. But the bottom line comes down to what I value and who I prioritize in my life. So roles and goals. Very crucial, not only in the time management piece, but in this begin with the end in mind. So Covey talks a lot about your roles and not role playing, not pretending, not in that sense, but in the sense of authentic relationships and responsibilities that you have committed to. And then the goals give your mission statement momentum. So the roles are kind of what your mission statement is built around. And then you set goals to move forward to create your plan of action, and then also to help you measure whether or not you are successfully living by your mission and reaching the goals that like kind of naturally flow out of this. And really, most times in your life, you're going to either have short-term or long-term goals. Short-terms can be like weekly goals, and then long-term, obviously, is much longer. So in order to write your personal mission statement, we really have to lean in on the first habit of your proactivity, and being in your center of the circle of influence. Because that center is comprised of your most basic paradigms, right? How you see the world. You have to make sure you are in a good place when you write this, which is why sometimes doing the work and processing the first habit can take you a long time before you're ready to begin with the end in mind. Can you imagine being in a really unhealthy, really distant from your truth and your well-being and trying to write a mission statement? No. 
So, or, or being positive or being a goal setter. I just, I can't, I can't, I can't. But I think the good news is when I look back on my life, when I've been in those places, I haven't had the energy. If somebody said mission statement, I'd be like, get out of here. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I barely have the energy to get this ice cream out of the freezer. And that's where I'm spending my time tonight on the couch. Like, no, like you just typically don't go after doing this type of work when you are not living in your most basic center of influence. So you get in your center of influence, you recognize your paradigms. This is where you deal with your vision, your values, the things at the center of your life that will be the source of what you consider your security, your wisdom, and your power. So security, wisdom, power are very big things. Guidance too. I left that out. Security, guidance, wisdom, and power. These are things that are at the center of the source for you to design your life. So when we talk about security, that represents your sense of self-worth. Okay, that is the very basic bottom. Think about Maslow's hierarchy. And this is kind of what Covey is creating. But he's talking about your security representing your self-worth, your identity. It is your emotional anchor your self-esteem, your basic personal strength or lack of it. That is your security. And once you have that, then you can move on to guidance. And guidance in this instance, Covey talks about it being the source of direction in your life. This is the compass. This is your map. This is your true north. This is your your frame of reference that interprets for you what is happening out there and the criteria by which you take every moment as it comes and decide how you're going to live it. That is your guidance. Wisdom is your perspective on life. It gives you a sense of balance, of understanding, how to process the various parts and principles, how they relate to one another. This is the area of your judgment and your comprehension of the things going on around you and what part you play. This is your wisdom. Then you're ready for your power. This is your capacity to act, your strength, your potency to accomplish something, and the vital energy that you have to make choices and decisions. So there's a lot there. Guidance, wisdom, security, guidance, wisdom, and power. So all of those things come into the center of your life. Now, each of us has a center We don't usually recognize what it is. We can not always identify it. It changes a little bit, hopefully not a lot, but we have to recognize that whatever we have put at our center has an impact on every aspect of our life. So Covey goes on in the book to talk about several centers you can possibly have. You can be spouse-centered, like almost, and you put anybody in there, friend-centered, spouse-centered. He has family-centered, right? But this spouse center is where you feel secure based on the way your spouse treats you. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Like, I don't like that. No. Um, Because if you probably have become spouse centered, where you get your direction from the needs and wants of your spouse, you have probably end up spouse centered because you got passed off from being friend centered or parent-centered, or some other centric type thing. You did not end up here because of the right choice, I'm thinking. 
Now, it's okay to put your spouse in the center sometimes, but you cannot get your sense of security off of how someone else treats you or identify your own needs and wants based on your spouse. You have to show up 50-50 that party. Now, if they line up, good job. Wait till tomorrow. Something else probably going to fly by that doesn't, but that's okay. You need some wins. Family-centered is where your security is founded on the family acceptance and fulfilling family expectations. Mm. You both could call my parents and they will both tell you I am not in the family-centered way. I love them, but I do not limit anything that I do based on any family tradition. We were really bad at those. Or family models. Really bad at those, too. Um, I get my sense of satisfaction, love, structure, and security from my family by speaking up, saying what's on my mind. Sometimes I push and poke at them, right? They're the closest people to me. They have to love me. They made me. They have to love me. And if I'm nasty to them and they come back and vice versa, you know, we have a good relationship that way. I'm family-centered in a different way sometimes, but not those ways. Ooh, money-centered, where you get your personal worth determined by your net worth. No, that is not healthy. You would not be listening to this podcast if you were money-centered, so we don't have to worry about that. Work-centered, where you tend to define yourself by your occupational role and you are successful based on the needs and expectations of your career. Ooh, I've been there. I have been there. I'd love to tell you that I'm not there anymore, but didn't I just go get a doctor to keep a job that I loved? Mm, that's a little bit of work-centric right there. But happy that I did all that. Absolutely love my job. Not necessarily unhealthily work-centered because I make time and balance and I have a great job. Brings me a lot of joy. The minute that switch flips, I'm confident that I can go out and find the next great job. Um, did you hear? I didn't sound confident when I said that because, you know, the economy is crazy. But I've done it before. I can do it again. That old, I found a job when I was looking for this one. Or, you know, I was looking for a job when I found this one. That's what it is. See, I'm not even good at those cliches. But there are times your center changes. You just cannot spend too much time in these. Being possession-centered or pleasure-centered. I'm going to leave those two up to you. Friend-centered or enemy-centered. Can you imagine making decisions based on what will thwart or frustrate your enemy? You're being defensive over, that is your perceived enemy, by the way. Defensive, overreacting, you're paranoid. Yeah. Well, those people are out there. You know they are. Usually these people are at work. They're people you perceive like it's your competition. There are people who are faith-centered. And then we got the great one at the bottom of the list, the self-centered, where your security is constantly changing and shifting. You view the world by how decisions, events, and circumstances affect you. You put yourself at the center of all of those things. So again, we, not all of us live a steady life. The world is not steady. Not everything is, you know, get your true north and just push the pedal and go. That's not always how life works. You have a lot of disruption, a lot of changes, a lot of people, a lot of loss, a lot of grief, a lot of gains, a lot of wins, whatever it might be. What do you do when you realize your center is off or you're not living by a mission or you're not truly being effective Covey has this amazing concept of re-scripting. So we already live with the scripts that we've written. Definitely for sure. Like our history is done. We cannot change it. We should not think about it. We have to move on. But what can we do today 
for better tomorrow. And that is a process that Covey refers to as re-scripting. And that is changing some of your underlying paradigms. And we do this because we are self-aware, we have imagination, and we have conscience. I love this. I love it. You cannot possibly find three better things to go together. And I talk about this in the classroom all the time, because I think these three things, your self-awareness, your imagination, and your conscience will help you guide wherever you are thinking about going. Because you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that you're worth it. You have to believe that you're capable of good, big things. Then you have to set those goals, set your guardrails, set your mission. Think about all of that. And use your imagination, especially in a world where we have no idea what's next. Things are just changing exponentially. Technology is, you know, beyond our wildest imagination. So whatever is at the limits of your own mind, stretch there. Somebody asked me today, why do people keep living in a box, staying in the box? I'm like, man, it was about education. It was a mom asking about like, why do we keep staying in the same box with education? I'm like, well, think about that. We've always had the box. The box is comfortable. Boomers, people that have created the laws and policies and rules and standardized tests and everything, they love the box. The box is a known quantity. They were in the box. They could see the sides. They can feel it. They can touch it. They control the box. The box is good. Everybody likes the box. And they say things like, well, I grew up in the box. I turned out okay. The box is fine. Why are we going to change the box? The box is not fine. The box is horrible. The box is a limited imagination. The box is lack of awareness, not necessarily self-awareness in this case, but lack of just taking risks. And and that people aren't doing it to be awful. They're doing it because out of fear. They lack courage. They lack understanding. They lack imagination. So if you can be good, self-aware, stretch your imagination, and then let your conscience guide you, right? If you find that you are money-centered, self-centered, friend-centered, spouse, if your center is off, if you are falling out of influence and out of control and those things, then that's when your conscience will guide you. And we constantly have to let our conscience enable us to combine our principles, our ethics, our morals with our talents, our skills, our learnings, our experiences, and then make goals to develop ourselves to be all that we can be. Yes, I know the army said that, but still very good. So thinking about having mastery, having victory, having a good effective life, and doing that in a way that you can be true to yourself and contribute. I'm telling you, when you hear the things that Covey talked about, you're like, girl, you're talking about your first 20 episodes. Well, part of it is because this stuff does make such good sense. And we are just on the second habit. People, does it blow your mind? It just blows your mind. Such good stuff. Rescripting. Love the concept of rescripting here. So highly effective people will lead a principle-centered life. And that is important personal leadership, all of the things that we talk about with begin with the end in mind encourages you to define better what or who you want to become. Your personal mission statement is a guide to help you ensure your daily activities act as a guardrail to keep you on the right path. 
Its center is the source of your security, guidance, wisdom, and power. And you have to place unimportant things outside to prevent them from influence and distracting you. You have to stay in your circle of control. A life centered on correct values is what creates your very good, positive, healthy foundation. And why do principles matter? Let's talk about that for a second. Principles are important and to put at the center of your life because the correct principles, again, a very solid foundation for support. They Principles do not react to anything. Principles don't get mad. They don't treat us differently. They don't run away. They aren't out to get us. They don't give you shortcuts or quick fixes. Principles don't depend on the behavior of others. They don't worry about the environment. They're not trendy or fads. Principles don't leave you. Principles are unable to be destroyed or stolen from you. They're deep, fundamental truth, classic truths, and they're common denominators for you. They are tightly woven threads that will run with complete exactness and consistency through the fabric of your whole life. Now, that was cool, and I took that right out of the book. I didn't want you all to think I'm sitting here doing all that on my own, but principle-centered life. It's so good, so good. Okay, habit three is putting first things first. Good stuff there. The first habit we talked about, effective people being proactive, accepting responsibility for their life. Second habit is assuring you're on your right path. You have your right values. You had your right direction. The third habit is your personal management. This is where your independent willpower gives you the means to make decisions and carry them out. This is a phenomenal time management matrix in this chapter. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It's so good. I have used this. I'm I'm telling you, I have used this over and over and over and over and over again. I've even been known to just draw out these quadrants. If you take a horizontal line, cross, you know, go down through it in the middle with a vertical line and you have four quadrants, you have at the top left urgent and the top right, not urgent, right? Anything you think about is either urgent or not urgent. Those are the top matrices, matrix, matrices. I never have gotten the plural of matrix down very well. The bottom are your important, non-important. So as you think about that matrix, urgent, not urgent, important, not important. When Covey talks about habit three, he is talking about things you find worth doing. You put first things first in the way you organize and manage your time and events according to your personal priorities that you established back in habit two. That's why habit two is important. That's why these build on each other. So we spend our time in one of four ways, taking care of urgent, non-urgent, important, non-important. Highly effective people do not really manage time. They manage themselves. So while the world is crazy and urgent and things are on fire and things are super like important to everyone, the effective person can't go from managing one crisis after another. They have to figure out how to lead a balanced life. And that means balance in this, this time management quadrant, these, this matrix. So finding your priorities and helping figure those out. So your first quadrant, your top left is urgent and important. Those are important deadlines. Those are crises. Those are just super things you have to do. 
you cannot live all of your time in quadrant one because then everything is a deadline. Everything is a crisis. Everything is on fire. Everything requires your attention. You can barely catch your breath before something else is happening. Quadrant two, things are not urgent, but they are important. This is where the planning happens. This is long-term development. This is where you are doing good work, but it is not on fire. It's not urgent. You are able to have good use of your precious time and you will thrive when you do quadrant two activities. Quadrant two has to be active upon proactively. So things do not become urgent. Whereas in quadrant one, where things are urgent and important, and then we're moving on to quadrant three, where things are urgent, but not important. Oh my goodness. Distractions, deadlines, things for other people. Those two quadrant, oh, see, I'm getting to meet numbers. You're urgent and important and you're urgent and not important. Anytime you throw urgent in, those are things you are reacting to. It's not proactivity, it's reactivity and it has the same dangers and life-sucking responses that you do from when you go back to the first habit where you're not being proactive. And then you've got quadrant four, Why we even bother? Not urgent, not important. So that's like Facebook for me. (laughs) That is stuff I can eliminate. It's a frivolous distraction. It's Pinterest. Unless I'm looking for dinner recipe, then it becomes um, maybe not urgent, but important. Maybe that's quadrant two, depending on if I got the Instapot out and i am got to figure out dinner in a very quick time. That's quadrant one, urgent and important. But that's lack of planning on my part. You know that thing, right? Uh, Lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. So you can see how people spend all of their time hanging out in quadrant four, procrastinator, frivolous distractions, doing the whatever. And then all of a sudden they skip all over and get to urgent and important because they've got things, they've got deadlines and things are a crisis and they neglected them. And then you've got those wackadoos who I've been on occasion, you know, like yesterday, um, probably will be again tomorrow, where you kind of convince yourself that you're like super effective if you just wait till last minute. I, I act better under pressure. I'm, my, my results are better under pressure. And you have people that put themselves in quadrant one where everything is urgent and super important. The problem with that is people put themselves there. Because that's where they're getting their self-importance. They're putting themselves centered around either self or work or friend or someone else's stuff. You really have to spend life working on things that are not urgent but important. Now, not everything fits in quadrant two. You don't always have the ability to put everything in quadrant two. I get it. There are only 24 hours in a day. You have your roles and goals. You have responsibilities to other people. You're not always going to be able to do that. And that's okay. It's where you spend the majority of your time and how you manage yourself over the time, right? Time management, we started with sticky notes, checklists, calendars, to-do lists, we got phone calendars, we got Outlook, we got Google Calendar, we make appointments, we're trying to be efficient all the time. Those are tools and they can in, in and of themselves be very efficient, but also very restrictive. And this is where we go back to last episode, we talked about the foundational principles of the Covey, your per- 
production and your production capacity, your balance. We have to manage ourselves rather than manage our time because we have to adhere to what we know is best. We have to focus on doing our best. So that quadrant two is really where you're trying to be. And I'm going to tell you people, you know this. If you're listening to this, you've been in these quadrants. You may not have recognized it, but if you sit down and you think about, let's talk for a second, some examples. Things that are quadrant one are deadline-driven projects, probably a group project, right? Where you got to be around other people, pressing problems, crises, all of those like necessary things that you have to deal with. Then you let's drop to three. Like, let's talk about urgent but not important. Interruptions, phone calls, mail, making reports for other people, meetings, meetings. I have the meme on my phone that looks like a blue ribbon that says, I survived another meeting that could have been an email. But even the email is going to fall in quadrant three. Popular activities, things that you have to say yes to, you feel like you do anyway. Ooh, and then four, right? Time wasters, pleasant activities, not even going for a walk because that's healthy. That's good health, self-maintenance, working out, all that stuff. That is not a quadrant four. These are time wasters. But those things in quadrant two, relationship building, recognizing new opportunities, planning, recreation, mental health, any of those really good things that are going to enrich your life. Very important. They have high returns. They are long-term in nature. They will include training, development. It's listening to this podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, you're in quadrant two. I know you are. I know you are. So thinking about how can you stay in your quadrant two and you have to be not problem minded, you have to be opportunity minded. So we talk, we're going to get into growth mindset stuff later on a few more episodes, but you think preventatively and you understand delegation. You understand the power of no, uh, Go back to my episodes, right? Power of no. You understand your production and your production capacity and where the balance is on that. So you can focus on important high leverage capacity building activities that really help your life. You have to set priorities. Enough people will try and do those for you, but you have to limit that. I mean, you can't tell your boss you're not going to do a report. You can't tell your boss you're not going to do those things. But you can maybe try to do the report differently sometimes and say, look, why is this helpful at all to you? And at least start the conversation around this report is stupid and I know you're not even reading it. Because you wouldn't say that at work. No, you would not. I wouldn't even say that at work, so I know you wouldn't. So again, draw this out if you need to. Draw it out if you need to. It's just like with habit two, if you need to make a list of your roles and goals, sometimes it's exhausting to think about all the roles that you have. And what are your goals with those roles? I just asked that because they rhyme. It's not even really a thing. No, I'm kidding. But think about in your day, making a list, making your quadrants, Q1, Q2, Q3, and Q4, 
important, urgent, urgent, not important, all those. Make it and then figure out how you're spending your time. And if you really need to, that's where you can go in and say to your people who are your direct reports, this is why I want to um, delegate to you more. And really, we all know delegation is probably the healthier thing you can do for the people that report to you. You can go into your supervisor, you can talk to your family, you can do those things around being in your best spot. If I said to my husband, I need you to make dinner because I want to go for a walk, he he would do that every night. But I don't let him do that because I'm like, no, I'm super important around here. And all the recipes are on my phone. And I'm the one who pushes the buttons on the Instapot. So I'm really important. Okay, that's ridiculous, right? That is being self-centered. And that is trying to create value for myself where I'm not finding a way to go out and take good care of myself. But I'm not shooting all over myself. That is not why I told that story. Um, But yeah, so habit three, putting first things first personal management, not necessarily time management, but personal management, because you have to have only 24 hours in your day. And you cannot spend them on your commitments and priorities. You have to really find time for yourself and your personal growth and your restorative life style and things that work for you. So wow, that is the first three habits. And I could probably keep going, but don't worry, I'm not going to. Because that is, again, your private victory. And then our next several habits, starting with four, five, six, and seven, are those public and more dependent type um, roles. So those this is get, getting good, right? Lots of good stuff in this. And again, this is just... Honestly, if you sit down and try to read this book, don't do it. Um, I'm not telling you don't read the book. I'm just telling you don't sit down thinking that you're going to get through it in one reading because you really want to take this in chunks because you can start to see now that when I'm talking about this, how these habits build on one another. And again, I am not telling you that Stephen Covey was the most brilliant man on the planet. What I'm telling you is he spent the time doing the research historically around theories and psychology and just so much wisdom and history and even some faith center messaging that these things all make such good sense when you think about them the way that he's built them and the way that he talks about them in the book. So just amazing, amazing work, in my opinion. It's been very transformative in my life. I hope that this is helpful. I hope I'm doing justice to these. And I hope I'm not trying to rush through or do an overview um, or be too flippant about them and or maybe dwelling on them. I don't know. But I really, it was important to me, especially as I talked to several of you about how to bring this, these concepts back and kind of put these together for you to to feel more empowered and more effective. I mean, isn't that living in your truth? And that's really what I want for you. So we are through the foundational knowledge and the first three uh, habits And we'll finish up with these in our next conversation. I hope this is helpful for you. And thank you for listening.